It's good to be in God's house today, is it not? Man, there's no place I would rather be on the Lord's day than in the Lord's house. For those of you who do not know me, my name is David Johnson. My wife, Susan, and I are members here. And I, I don't even know, Pastor Kenan, how long that's been. It's been over 10 years. So we're glad to be here. This is a part of our uh, church family, our church home, even though we travel a lot. Uh, I was a pastor for 20 years. Uh, I'm now the CEO of a ministry called Dulos Partners. Uh, which is an international church planting organization, thank you, uh, that we uh, get to be uh, a part of what's going on around the world. And I am thankful that our church is an investor uh, in the ministry, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and certainly, uh, we uh, do our best to invest the resources that you give to us in a way that will bring honor and glory to the Lord. And as important as financial partners are, I'm very excited to talk to you about a different partnership. Quite frankly, a partnership is even more important than financial resources, and that is prayer support. We are looking for financial support, but we need greatly to be praying for what God's doing around the world through his faithful men and women that serve in the church. I've entitled this message today, Without Ceasing, Without Ceasing. Every word in the scripture matters. Every word is the word of God. Every word is anointed. Every word is given by the Holy Spirit to the 40 authors over a 1500 year period of time on two different continents in three different languages. However, I do think it's worthwhile to look at words that get used repeatedly in the Scripture. One of the words that get used repeatedly in the Scripture is the word prayer. The word prayer actually appears in the Bible 338 times in 302 verses. Also in the scripture, there are 650 prayers that are made all throughout the scripture. And as far as I have been able to find, without ceasing is only connected to the word in the scripture, prayer. Prayer is an essential part of the life of a fully devoted follower of a Christ. Let me say that to you again. Prayer is an essential part of the life, pay attention here now, of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Paul was certainly that when he penned these words to the church at Thessalonica. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, which by the way, you can't really rejoice always without praying without ceasing. Those are connected. It also goes this way, give thanks in all circumstances. How do you do that without praying without ceasing? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. At the vortex of all of that, for the Christian is prayer. So when we look at that, we've got to sort of dive into what, what does it mean? I, I know some of you are sitting out there going, well, I, so Pastor David, how in the world do you pray without ceasing? So do you stay home? 
Do you stay in your prayer closet? Do you not go to work? Do you not take your kids to school? Do you not, I mean, fill in those blanks. We're not going to play soccer. We're not going to play baseball. We're going to do, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? I've come across, I think, some very good uh, answers to that. It's really, you know, without ceasing means a God consciousness it means a God surrender. So as we're walking through the Christian life, we're walking through the Christian life with this God consciousness, with this God surrender, that we're doing all of that without ceasing. I, I loved what gotquestions.com said when I kind of looked at this. It said, it's, it's like that you, it's like the breathing. You don't have to think to breathe. So I don't know about you, I haven't sat here since I got started going, okay, David, breathe. Okay, David, breathe. And I'm sure you've not sat there going, okay, I need to breathe. But Paul is saying here, praying without ceasing is like breathing to the believer. It's like a breath prayer. It's like this God consciousness. It's like when I see an ambulance coming by me, I pray for that person. It's like whenever I'm at lunch that I, I say a blessing. It's like when somebody calls me on the phone and they're going through a struggle that I'm going to stop right then and there and pray for them. It's a, it's a consciousness. Just like we have to stop and make ourselves hold our breath, what Paul is saying, you should actually, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, actually have to stop and not pray. I thought that was just such a great analogy. It's all about praying without ceasing. So how does this whole thing called communication between God and his people actually work? So our small group right now at our church, and I love these guys. They're so supportive of, of me, and I love them. And so we're, we're in Tim Keller's book right now on prayer, and we've been studying how does this whole thing, this whole lines of communication between God and man and man and God, how does that work? Tim Keller did a beautiful job, and you see that on the screen or on your, uh, on your app. Tim Keller says, God speaks to us in his word and we respond in prayer. Now, I love this second part particularly. He says, entering into the divine conversation and communion with God, that prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God has already started. Think about that. How in the world did God start the conversation with us? He started it to us through his word. Some of the purest, some of the most powerful times I've had with God came out of times when I was studying God's word. He goes on to talk about the triune God playing a huge role in this prayer process. So he goes on to say, we pray because God is our loving father. We're going to see that more as this message unfolds. Because Christ is our mediator, giving us access to the throne of the universe. We're certainly going to look at that. And because the spirit himself indwells us. I want us to look at three different ways that I believe God can allow us to grow and our prayer journey and our prayer walk. We're gonna look at the simplicity of prayer. We're gonna look at the sincerity of prayer. And we're gonna look at the scope of prayer. So the key word, if I were saying you had your outline, you're gonna write that down. Let me tell you, Pastor Kenneth, I'm 
when I'm over there doing this on my phone, I want you to understand I'm not texting people, okay? I'm writing those down and I'm sitting right over there in the 1030 and I'm writing them down. So if you're doing that today, then I would say the key word, and I would want you to write this down, is the word innocence. Innocence, because one of the things that God has been teaching me, particularly in the last three years as I've been on this journey of what does it mean to truly be a prayer warrior? Innocence has been a part of that, that I am to come before the Father in a very childlike way. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 19, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. You're going like, well, hang on a second, David. Are you saying that I'm to come before the father as a child? I'm a mature adult. I'm a mature follower of Jesus. Surely you've got something else for me than that. Well, I hate to say this, but that's the way that Jesus came to the Father. Do you remember? In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cross is right in front of him. And he starts his prayer to the Father in one of the most difficult times in his life on this planet with these words, Abba, Father. So do you think Jesus was not mature? Do you think that he didn't walk out everything that the Father had for him? And yet he comes before his Father and basically he says, Daddy. He says, Poppy. He has a love relationship with his father because the Bible calls us children of God. The Bible calls us sons and daughters. And that's an incredible way for us to approach the throne. Look at what John writes. He says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The connection, how do we become a child of God? We believe. We believe what? Jesus is in fact the Son of God who came and was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. He went to the cross and he died a substitutionary atoning death in your place and my place. And he was buried in a tomb that could not contain him. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He's not some dead prophet. He is the living Messiah, the Son of God, who has ascended now to the right hand of the Father. And one day is going to come again for the church. One day he's going to come again for the church. He's going to come again for who? The children of God. I love John goes on in 1 John. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved. Listen to me, church family of Westwood, beloved. We are God's children when? Now. Now. And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself how as he is pure. Let me ask you, are you 
approaching the throne with this kind of innocence? Are you approaching the throne with this kind of purity? Are you approaching the throne with this kind of love? Are you approaching the throne with this kind of adoration for Abba, Father? So my takeaway is prayer is enriched by a heart that approaches the throne of purity. We are to come to the Father with the love and dependence of a child. Secondly, I want us to look at the sincerity of prayer. The sincerity of prayer. The key word here, uh, if you're taking notes, is the word intimacy. So we come before the Lord in this beautiful picture of innocence. And then we come before the Lord in this intimate relationship with him that is unlike any other relationship on the planet. It is unlike any other relationship in our life. Let me just say, true intimacy with God begins with drawing near to him. Look at what James wrote. James said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Did you see that order? Pay attention to the order because the order here matters. Draw near to God and then, if this was an if and then statement, it would say if you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. And what's a part of that? Well, he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let me tell you, I've, I looked across at, at my bride yesterday. Uh, we have recliners with a little table in the middle, and she's praying, and I'm praying and reading, and we get this, this kind of holy conversation going on between the two of us, and I love that. She loves that. Sometimes she interrupts me, and sometimes I interrupt her, and it's okay. So I looked at her yesterday and I said, you know what I've never thought of before? And I don't know that it's ever been said. So Pastor Kenneth, if you said it, I apologize. So uh, I must have been distracted that day. But intimacy with God is up to me. Intimacy with God is up to you. Intimacy with God is up to us. Now, he's totally true to draw near to us when we're willing to draw near to him. Not only that, and this is one of the things that I have so learned over the last three years, particularly the last year, this is what I've learned. So intimacy is not possible, don't miss this. Intimacy is not possible without repentance. It's just not. You know why? Because God's never gonna dwell in the midst of sin. Never. That's why when we enter into our time with him, we should be asking him, Lord, reveal my sin to me so that I can repent. If I know what it is, repent. If I don't know what it is, let me know, Father, so that I can repent. Therefore, when we pray, we're to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to remove our masks and to be completely vulnerable before the Lord. Would you, would you guys agree with me that we wear masks? Not a rhetorical question. Would you guys agree with me that we wear masks? Now, I, I agree that in this room, there are some whose face are fully covered. I mean, the masks are on 
so straight us can know anything about you because you're covering that up. Now, some of us, truth be known, the mask might be covering half of our face or 25% of our face. And let me just tell you, I've got things in my life I'm not proud of. I've got things in my life that I wouldn't want you to know about. You know, I have things in my life that, that would break the heart of some of you in this room. And I, I dare say there's probably some of you in this room. I see a whole lot of heads going up and down here. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of us in this room have done things that we're not proud of and that we're wearing the mask over. But let me just tell you, you can put the mask on in front of me and I can put the mask on in front of you. But I want you to know, who are you kidding if you think you can pet a mask on in front of God? Because God knows every thought you've ever had, every action you've ever taken, every word you've ever spoken. So I am trying to learn to come before Jesus and be vulnerable before the Lord. You know, the, the word sincere is a, is a powerful word. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, it means judged by the sunlight. So understand that when we come before the Lord, the light is shining on us. The light is shining on our life. We are being judged and we will be judged by the sunlight. In the Latin, the word means for sincerity, actually correct. And sincera actually means without wax. Now, in the first century, a lot of the Roman potters would pledge on a piece that they had fired. They would put uh, their mark on it and it would say sincerely without wax which means when that pottery was fired, there are no cracks, there are no flaws. They're selling and they can get a higher price for it. So what did they do in their day? Many of them would fill those cracks, they would fill those flaws with wax and would paint it and try to sell it as a first. Now, before we're too hard on the potters, Let's ask ourselves the question when we have on our mask before the Lord and we filled it with wax. Do you not think he can see that? Because the truth of the matter is we are flawed. The truth of the matter is all of us have cracks. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have imperfections. It's only been covered by the blood of Jesus. So when we come before him, we should come to him, removing our mask in our weaknesses. Paul writes about this, but he said to me, and he's caught up in the third heaven. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. How many of you get up every morning to boast over your weaknesses? Let me just tell you, I don't. I'm not very good at that. The Lord's really teaching me about that. And yet here's Paul, pretty faithful follower of Christ. The man who wrote 13 of the New Testament books, 
a man who did incredible things for the gospel. He said, I boast all the more gladly my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Yikes. Yikes. I am content. Let me just say, we can be more content, church family. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that even possible? I love the fact that Pastor Kenneth used this verse last week. It was already in my notes. So you're going to get a double dose back to back from John 15, okay? So how do we do that? Jesus said, and again, pay attention to the order, because let me tell you, God does nothing haphazardly. God does nothing by mistake. It all is there the way, exactly the way he wants us to see it and hear it. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, oh, pay attention, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So where does our power come from? From the vine. Where does our life source come from? from the vine who was it that said he is the vine jesus himself is the vine jesus is the power source jesus is the life source i love in the greek this word about is the word minnow and in the greek it means a permanent union it means not to depart from it means to remain in for those of us who are believers, that is intimacy. There is intimacy between the connection of the branch to the vine. That is an incredible relationship. No other relationship like this. A connection between the, the vine and the branch. So here's kind of my takeaway, prayer empowers us to endure hardships. Paul just talked about that. While producing much fruit. I got to move on. The third scope that I want us to talk about. So it's not just about this innocence before God. It's not just about this intimacy that can only come from abiding. It's also the scope of prayer, the key word intercession intercession so let me let me stop for just a second and say let's sort of do this recap of how is all that we've been talking about even possible where did it start how in the world are we given access to the throne and how does the throne communicate to us how do we even have the opportunity to pray to to jesus himself how how do we have an opportunity to even have to the father jesus what he did on the cross and when we look at matthew's writing of that in matthew 27 it says and jesus cried out again with a loud voice now in another passage of scripture in another book he uses the word to telestai so he cry, he cries out the word to telestai which means what church what does it mean church it is finished. 
So he cries out to Telestai, it is finished, and he yields up his spirit. Let me tell you something, the Romans did not kill Jesus. Jesus gave his life. How do we know that? Remember when he went back to Nazareth? Remember when he, they took him to the edge of the brow? Do you remember what happened? He walked among them untouched. Why? Because he said, my time has not yet come. Here, his time had completely come. And behold, look at what happened. Y'all, this is significant. This is the price of admission. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. How? From the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. Here's one of the things that I've learned and it's amazing. One of the greatest realities in the Christian life is to know that Jesus is interceding on our behalf while also knowing the reality that he expects us to do exactly the same thing. You got like, David, how in the world do we know? How can we be sure that Jesus is in fact at the right hand of the Father, is in fact interceding on behalf? You know how? Because the Bible tells us so. It's crazy, Paul writes here, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is condemned. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding on our behalf. I have a Greek word for that. It's wow. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Think about that. The creator and the sustainer of the universe is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf and my behalf. When we voice our prayers, it goes through Jesus to the Father. And let me tell you, that's shouting words. The truth of the matter is Jesus is interceding on our behalf, but it does not stop there. We have a responsibility to that because Paul goes on to write, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplications to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Pay attention, making supplication for all the saints. Jesus is interceding on our behalf, and Jesus has called on us to intercede on each other's behalf. He's given us the example. The question is, how well are we doing? So here's my takeaway. Prayer enables us to carry out the Great Commission by yes giving and yes going but also interceding on behalf of the global church. Let me tell you, I'm doing something today I've never done before. I'm getting ready to make a quote from Andrew Murray that I made in the sermon that I preached on July the 11th here last year on prayer. I rarely requote, but let me tell you, this is worth requoting. Andrew Murray says, we have far too little conception of the place intercession ought to have in the church, in the Christian life, he goes on to say that we can do nothing without it. So do you think prayer matters, church? 
so if these statements are true, then how do we intercede on behalf of the church around the corner? And how do we intercede on behalf of the church around the world? And what tools can we use? Now, we started Dulas 14 years ago, and uh, we've done thousands of presentations to individuals and churches and businesses, telling them about what God's doing, asking them to invest, asking them to pray. And all those years, we never had a tool to give to somebody to be able to pray for the nations. Until this year, uh, we now have a tool that you have in your hands. Uh, hope you got one for families you came through. Would love for you to take that out now because one of the things I want to do is I want to give you something practically that you and your family can do as you come out of this message. Because if we're to intercede on behalf of the global church, we need a tool to be able to do that. So I want you to open it all the way up, just like this. Sorry about the picture of me. You'll just have to, you know, you can use that on your dartboard or whatever. So go, go ahead and open this all the way out like this, all the way out. Because what I want to do is, and, and I've been using this now for six months, and it is revolutionized. The way I pray for the the way I pray for the nations, and I want I know our pastor wants and I know our staff wants wants us to be a church that is a praying church, and I know that we are, and I'm glad that there are many of you who pray. But I often have people go, "Well, David, there are 217 nations. How in the world do we organize that? How in the world can we pray in a significant way for the nation?" So what we did. First of all, I don't know about you, but you know, you're going like, man, you've been out of the country 90 times and your geography's not great. Well, my, my geography's not great. Anybody else in here besides me, your geography's not great? Okay. So what we did is we tried to help you. So we took 217 nations. They go across the bottom of the map. We divided them by 31. There are seven nations per day. I'm going like, you know what? I can pray for seven nations per day. That's something that I can take on. And so we're going to actually look. So let's, let's, today's the 24th. So look at the 24 on your map. And you're, I, I, I'm actually going to, first of all, show you how to use the map. And then I'm going to pray exactly like I pray every day as a model for you, as you can be thinking how to pray for the nations. So you see there, I'm so thankful for those first, you know, 162 through 168. So Bahrain is number 162. I can look right up on the map and I can see 162. Ah, there's some of you probably never even heard of Bahrain, much less where it is. Well, we're going to pray this morning for Bahrain and it's number 162. And then you see Qatar, UAE is United Arab Emirates. You see Iran, you see Oman, you see Turkmenistan, you see Uzbekistan. We're going to pray for those nations today. And you may be going, so David, what's up with the red and the black? I'm glad you asked. So, so the red are the top 50 most persecuted countries in the world. So when you pray and you see a black country, they're not on the list. If you see a red country, they're on the list. That little house next to UAE is a part of one of our partners, Every Home for Christ, that we did this map together. And so we can see that here. 
Next to them is the population. So in Bahrain, 1.5, that number's in millions. Next to that is the in-country leader, and I pray for every leader every day. Next to that is the percentage of believers, the percentage of evangelicals. So there's 2.5% of Bahrain. There's 0.8% of Qatar, and you can see how that goes. Also to the right, and what we did is we took ministries, and it's an alphabetized list. And I was like, man, I want to be interceding on behalf of other ministries. And so you see those ministries there. So we're going to go ahead and pray. And you see this, like this, uh, where it says prayer focuses to pray for all nations. Uh, that is a great tool. And so I'm going to pray that. So what I want you to do now, I want you to do what Pastor Kenneth, uh, you know, asked us to do, like when their name's up on the board. We're going to pray with our eyes open. I want you to see this as I pray through this. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity that you toured just the, the veil from the top to the bottom. Lord, I want to lift up right now the country of Bahrain. I want to lift up the country of Qatar. Lord, I want to lift up to you the country of United Arab Emirates. Lord, I want to pray for Iran and Oman. I want to pray for Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. So Lord, I, I, Lord, I want to pray for the for the global church who's in those countries, for the pastors, for the church planters, for the congregations. Lord, I want to pray that they will have open hands to minister the gospel. Lord, that you'll throw open the gates of heaven and rain down on these countries today, these seven countries, that the spread of the gospel will go forth, that those seeds, Father, will find fertile soil, that we can see a 30, 60, 100-fold return. Father, I ask for open minds in these countries to receive that gospel. Lord, I ask for open hearts in these seven countries that would embrace the gospel. Lord, I'm praying for you in Isaiah 52 that you will go before for these church and these church leaders and that you will level the path to their feet and that God, that you will be their rear guard as they go. Lord, I'm asking you that the gospel will go forth in these countries without hindrance. Maybe, Lord, they had hindrance yesterday. Maybe they'll have hindrance tomorrow. But Lord, I'm asking you in these seven countries today, that there will be no hindrance to the gospel. Lord, I pray for these leaders that I cannot pronounce their names, but you know who they are. Lord, I'm asking you to appear to them in a dream. I'm asking you to send a Paul King kind of conversation. Lord, I'm asking you to draw these men and women unto you, that they would become followers of yours, that their households would come to know you, that their countries would come to know you. Lord, I pray for the power to change ministry. I pray for prison fellowship, for promise keepers, for pulse movement, for reach beyond, for reach global, for reformed evangelistic fellowship. Lord, I pray for these ministries that they won't take their eye off the ball, that their leaders will follow you, that they'll follow your mission, that they won't get ahead of you or they won't lag behind you. Lord, we pray for these nations today. So Lord, put your hand of protection on them. And Lord, as you know, so often do, I lay my hands on these countries. And Lord, I say, I give you your church. Lord, use your people in such a mighty way. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, 